Okay, welcome to My Brother's Deeper, a podcast about two brothers, one in England, one in Los Angeles, one's a pastor, one's a writer. I'm Josh Mayhall. And I'm Jason Mayhall. And welcome to My Brother's Deeper. This is the third episode, a second parter called Separation. And the first one, first part we talked about, it was basically a timeline, continuing the timeline of uh, our youth. And we were, got to an area where we moved a lot. Before we get back to Louisiana, I wanted to go back to the Colorado part of that journey where we, we were there maybe five months. The reason why I want to go back to that, because we're talking about separation. Moving is a sort of a separation. I wanted to go back to that part because that five months that we lived there, we lived in this little two bedroom apartment and we were coming from like living in a house, like a nice house in Maine. And we're going to a new school and I don't know if you remember how you felt back then, but like that was one of the most loneliest times in my life because like we would we would go to school and then like on the weekends I don't know if you remember this, but on the weekends we would we would like go for a walk because we lived in this sort of like we lived in a suburb of Denver it was called Lakewood and we would go to this rec center right and then we would like go to a, we like throw the football it was like the fall you know yeah. and it was really windy i just remember that and we would go to this comic book store i don't know if you remember that i don't yeah we would go to this comic book store and <clears throat> i remember that was this is what like 1990 maybe 1990 yeah. 89 90 91 maybe it was the start and of my sophomore year west coast avengers which i love out during that time and we would get these comics and we'd go back to the apartment and we'd read them but i just it was just so lonely and this is another aspect we might get into when we talk about mom and all that but like she's going through obviously a really rough period there i just don't remember her around much then no i agree i mean and i definitely was, think that's true there was, and there was this incident too like where she was gone one night we were sleeping and she didn't come home. You don't remember this, but anyway, the point is that I don't know how you felt during that time, but like that was one of the really, one, a really low, lonely point for me in my life. Yeah, I, I think of it as a time. I guess loneliness is not the word that necessarily comes up, although I think it would be appropriate. I think of it as a very depressing time, though, uh, because we were transitioning yet again. We had lost essentially a parent. We were in a completely unknown place. And even though there was family around us, I think we've mentioned this before, we weren't particularly close to that side of the family. I do I do remember going to that park a lot and playing. I don't remember the, the rec center at all, but I remember going to the park and playing lots of tag football with just like random people. And and that was I remember that being really, really fun. But I do, I do remember mom being gone a lot, but my memory is that she was gone because she was working so much. Because again, like mom never went to college, 
really didn't have much of an education beyond high school. And that she, I mean, when she was working in Colorado, she was cleaning houses. And so I think she had to take whatever was available. So I'm sure we were on our own a lot. Again, I don't know if I've blocked that out because I was joking with the kids not long ago that, uh, that one of the things I remember about Colorado was how, how we named the baseball team, the Colorado Rockies. Do you remember that? They had a contest in the Rocky Mountain News or either the Denver Post, whichever one it was, and you could write in. The new baseball team was being, I think, was, was coming to town. And, and I remember we wrote in. And I remember my thought was, I think the Rockies would be a great name, Colorado Rockies. You're taking – you're taking credit for naming the Major League Baseball team. I'm saying that I was part of, no doubt, a large contingent of people who voted that way. That's <laughs> like saying, hey, hey, man, I came up with uh, the Houston Texans. <laughs> hey, listen. Listen. Truth is truth. However you want to look at it, I was a I don't part. Know, speaking of that, man, that makes that gives me like this weird <clears throat> segue of naming things. In Louisiana, before we we all started moving, remember we had that dog Abby. She actually came with us to yeah, Maine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they mated her with a drug dog. In Louisiana. Yeah. Say no. You remember that? Yeah, the say no dog. Yeah. That they had this big contest of like, because the the guy who our dog Abby Yellow Lab, mm-hmm. right, mates with this this drug dog because this guy was like he would breed the dog and he got his pick of the litter. Well, it was the local police department drug yeah. dog. So he it wasn't was just like some trained, random dude. Yeah, he trained yeah. the drug dog. Yeah, so it was like the local police. And they had like a dog. and they had like a local contest yeah. in the paper of like who could name the dog, and the dog was named Say No. Right. Because this was during the time of uh, Nancy Reagan, yep. Say No to Drugs. So at the time, it seemed sort of genius because we're all trying to think of these names cool names and here's this kid is like yeah what about this name it's like oh yeah okay it's pretty obvious anyway so you named the colorado rockies Dude. i don't remember that at all man i, I just remember i think speaking of sports i remember buster douglas had beaten tyson, tyson a year yeah. before that and he was gonna fight evander holyfield next okay. and i remember I don't know if you remember this, but we were big fans of Vander Holyfield. He was coming up in weight, too. He was a cruiserweight. Yeah. He was coming up to fight heavyweight. And it was one of his first fights. And he got a title shot against Buster Douglas. And I remember our uncle, which is our mom's brother, was like, oh, Buster Douglas, I'll knock him out. <laughs> and, we were, and we were both like, no way, Holyfield. And Holyfield ended up winning. So, so you called it is what you're saying. I think we – yeah, I definitely called Holyfield <laughs> over Douglas. Nice. I was at that time 12 or 13 and I already knew more about sports than our uncle. <laughs> well, that's not saying much, honestly. So, okay, so when you think of Colorado then, like the overwhelming descriptor is loneliness. And you mentioned this story about mom. I know we've talked about this, like just you and I privately – I don't remember this story at all. So, so there was a, recount the story, and then I, like I'm curious to know like how how much of that played into the way you felt in Colorado. Because if, if the, I mean this obviously is a big story, and if we're only there for five months, that's a pretty seminal moment. 
Well, there was one night. So there was a night where we were in bed sleeping. I don't know what time it was, but mom had, I don't remember going to bed and I don't remember her not being there. I just remember being in bed and her not being in the apartment. And it was like midnight. Did you like wake up and look around or something? I don't think I ever went to sleep because I knew she wasn't there. Gotcha. And just thinking like, where is she? I don't know. Like just this uncertainty. And later on, I found out that because I asked mom about it because eventually she did come home. I don't know at what time, but I found out later that her brother or uncle um, got really mad at her about it and said, you know, like confronted her and yelled at her and said, well, how can you leave them alone like that? So, yeah, I mean, I you remember know. him like arguing with her or do you or is this he told you this later they both told me later do you know what she was because i brought it up it had always bothered me no one ever talked about it and then as an adult you know it was a memory about being there and i asked mom about it and she was like yeah and then later i asked uncle tim about it and he did i mean the stories were simpatico so do you know what she was doing i think she was on a date dang that's disturbing. <laughs> like I said, there's there's a there's other things along the line when we grew up that are disturbing, but I think that would be for a different podcast. So, do you feel like part of part of the loneliness that you felt there, but but also just along this theme of separation, like you know, there's the obvious things of separation, of leaving a place having someone leave you. But do you feel like, you know, the person that we stayed with, our mom, the person that raised us, what aspect of of our ability to disconnect do you think comes from the way she raised us? Well, I think during we talked about during this period how we both learned how to emotionally disconnect. I think it's just through broken families. I think she did her best to be communicative with us about things. I don't know if you remember how old we were when she gave us the sex talk. Well, I remember mine. I thought I didn't think it was at the same time. I mean, I remember mine. It was in a a car outside Del Champs. Or Walmart, because Walmart was right next to Del Champs. Yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it. And I remember – I mean, we were obviously pretty young because here's here's what I remember. This is crazy. Is I remember being at a at one of Dad's friends' houses during the 1986 World Series because the friend that he was watching was a huge Boston Red Sox fan. Do you remember this? Larry. Okay. And I remember during one of those games, Dad had had been drinking a little bit and so when he did he was you know a little bit boisterous and at some point i remember being amongst a bunch of adults and dad said something about do you know anything about sex like have you ever had the sex talk and i remember at that time going yeah mom gave it to us so i knew like so i was what nine years old in 86 so i knew that that 11 11 yeah 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 sorry that's weird um so, yeah, so I knew that she had given that to us previously. So, yeah, I think we were relatively young when that happened. I mean, I was definitely young. It was before I hit puberty. 
Yeah. Well, me too. Yeah. So, yes, I do remember the point I think I'm trying to make here with mom was like, I think she was she was trying to be open and honest about things. And and as far as like the emotionally disconnecting, I think that period was she was obviously depressed from, you know, the second marriage ending the way it did. So, yeah, I think all of that stuff is all of the things that had happened have an effect on how you emotionally react to things. Yeah. I think it was an accumulation of things. It wasn't just at night. It was the being ripped away from two places within three years mm-hmm. and um, just trying to socially acclimate to that, too. As a kid that age, you're, we were speaking of puberty. We were in that the midst of that when this whole move happened and you have a range of emotions going through you at that point in your life. Well, I'll know about that. And it's, and then to have this instability Mm -hmm. added into that, that would be sort of a keystone to however emotionally you developed from that point onward. Yeah. What was your schooling like there? Because I, I obviously was in high school. I want to talk about this. Is another thing I want to talk about because I remember at that point I was in eighth grade. Yeah. And I had this teacher. I guess he was like the main my homeroom teacher. I don't remember any other teachers. I just remember this guy. He was an African guy, and he taught math, and he taught like this class that was I guess geography or something. Because we had to do this project, and I had to make this – I got this big piece of ply board and carved the United States and all the states out of it with, like, this tool. It was part of some project we did, and he would call out the grades for these things, and he would call your name, and he would go – like, he'd go, Josh Mayhall and Apple, <laughs> which means you got an A. <laughs> Do you remember what all the little sayings were for the grades? No, I just remember Apple. Because I just remember he gave a lot of A's out. Okay. Like, he well, was a Apple's. nice guy. He was a good teacher, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I remember that. I remember this one kid that I became friends with named Spencer. Hmm. And it was because we played basketball during, like, recess hours or whatever. There was a court there. And I guess at that point, I was, like, coming into being pretty good at basketball. And he thought I was like good. He was. Uh, he would call me Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Because I guess I was, uh, you know, as good as anybody on that that playground at that point. Because I remember like getting on the bus after school, and he was already on the bus, and he was like telling me to, hey, come sit next to him. I was outside the bus, and he was yelling through the window, and he was like, "Dude, dude's like Jordan, man." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, like, that was the only sort of, like, self-confidence I had at that point. Yeah. With that kid, you know, telling yeah. me I was good at basketball. Yeah. I don't know. What was school like for you? Well, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't great. Like, I remember trying to find my place for sure. I mean, we I tried out for the basketball team. We talked about that last time I didn't make it. I do remember, like, two guys that I became friends with. But they were very different than me. Like, I think, you know, it's fair to say that, like, if I had a style, like, my style was probably more, like, preppy, 
kind of kind of all American ish. And these guys were like more skater, had earrings in their ears and stuff. Like I remember I remember in particular like one of the guys had like a Playboy bunny earring, like a stud. And I remember thinking, all right, is it the right ear or the left ear? When people are trying to declare that they're homosexual, you know, like because right. I I just I, I didn't know because we just weren't around a ton of people like that. But yeah, I just remember it being hard. I remember you know when you're not there for very long, it takes a while. I think that's the true for any school. And I just remember going, okay, we just did this not too long ago. We're having to start again. And you know, I, I think it was harder because when we moved to Maine, I think. Our southern accent actually helped kind of create a little bit of, oh, they're unique and they're different. But when we moved out to Colorado, that wasn't necessarily the case because it was just – there were a lot more – it was a lot more of a transient type of community where lots of people had moved in from different places. you know Denver's a weird vibe. It's not the west. It's not the midwest. It's not the southwest. But it's a city. It's a blue-collar city and outdoorsy. Yeah. Yeah. A little liberal. I don't know because there's a big, you know, marijuana culture there. And yeah. But yeah, it's a weird vibe. And you know, what's even weirder is like our uncle has been there a long, long time, and he's a weird dude. <laughs> well, you know him better than I do. You've spent more time with him than I have. But I, because I, I, I would, I would say that I probably really don't have that much relationship with him. You know, outside of when we lived there. Um, I've not really talked to him that much. Um, not, not because I've got anything against them, but again, that's just that, that kind of side of the family is a little bit different. So I, I really look at Colorado as kind of a blip in the past. I don't really think that much about it. I don't really have that many fond memories. I mean, I, I think if, like I said before, it feels depressing. That was a place where I think from a separation standpoint, I was glad to separate. I was definitely glad to, that we moved there. From there, yeah, when we were there five months. But I, speaking of that family that lives over, that lived there, and still lives there, I've definitely interacted with them more than you. But I don't understand them. They're from the East Coast, obviously. I would say that they're East Coast people. You know, that grow up, spent most of their time in New Jersey. But they're a very strange, cold group of folks who are very I don't know what you would call it maybe backstabby they like to turn the knife mm. just to see what happens type of people I'm not saying they're bad people I'm just saying that they're they're a different breed yeah and uh it didn't help <laughs> being around them I guess but yeah. as we've seen as we've seen in future settings things that have happened um but so we moved back to Louisiana, which we mentioned in the first part, to West Monroe, which upon listening to that second episode, the first part of this two-parter, you seem a little bit more fond of West Monroe than I do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think some of that's retrospect because, you know, I think when you look back on things – when you compare it to kind of other people and other people's experiences, sometimes you feel like, well, it wasn't that bad. Like, a, like, like a, an example for me would be like growing up, I would have felt like, you know, we had a probably a, a low to middle class upbringing. And I think I was aware of that 
with people around me and such. And so I kind of carried that stigma with me maybe a little bit. And then when I got to college and you're around a ton of different people, you kind of begin to place yourself like, oh, this is kind of where these people were from. This is how they kind of uh, were raised. And there were some things that I realized about our upbringing. I was like, oh, like either one, that was like super, super normal or two, like not everybody even had what we had, you know, um, or we at least got to do some traveling or some some experiences that even people who were from a small, small town in Louisiana never even got to do, you know. So I think retrospectively, I look back on our childhood and I go, OK, you know, th- there were there were some tough things. But overall, like there were some good, the really, really good things as well. I think I look at West Monroe that way, too, to a degree, like in the moment. It was a tough transition again. It was trying to find your place in the middle of high school for me, which was really, really hard. I've come to terms again that I probably weren't wasn't playing high school sports anymore. Trying to uh, make friends, trying to get girls to notice you to some degree, and I think once I got out of high school and again went to university, like our high school became like super, super good at football. Right. Like when we were there, they weren't good. But afterwards, like they became crazy good. And there was a certain amount of pride that came with that for me. And being in in university around people who are, you know, from Baton Rouge and and that sort of thing. So I do think that it changed a little bit for me, like when I look back on West Monroe. And then I think it's always easier to go visit a place that you've been from rather than live in a place you know, like I think it's easier to go, oh, yeah, like I remember that restaurant. There's some good times there rather than when you're living there. You're just like, my God, that's like the only restaurant around, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You speak of the football thing. I think people have a pretty good idea in America, especially of how big football is in certain regions. You know, you had you had the movie and then the show Friday Night Lights, which is Texas yeah. football. But. In Louisiana is just as maniacal, and there's a energy to it that that's all encompassing. Like even if you're not into it, you feel it, and you get carried away with it, and you notice it, and you're very aware of it. It's a strange, a strange feeling those Friday nights. And the school that we went to. They were mediocre at the time we went there, but it was taken very, very seriously. Definitely. It was a job for these kids that were on the team. Yeah. The school took it seriously. That they, You could see this, the special treatment there to these players. Everyone was involved. You know, mm-hmm. everyone went to these games. Everyone went to the pep rallies. People, oh, yeah. I remember you, I guess it was your senior year, because you graduated from West Monroe High School. Mm-hmm. And I remember you painting your truck, like oh, putting yeah. sayings on the oh, yeah. truck. Yes. I remember I came up, speaking of coining phrases and names or nicknames, <laughs> West Monroe, your senior year, started off well. They were 5-0. and And then they were playing another team, six game, and you were trying to think of a logo, a thing to put on your truck or something. And I came up with 6-0. and Bastrop's got to go. <laughs> God, that's genius. Because you had <laughs> you had a friend named Daniel. 
game. Yeah, more so. into it. This might have been your junior year because he was a year ahead of you. Yeah, it probably was. Yeah, because he was super into it. Well, yeah. I mean, I, even if you didn't play, there was there was obviously a lot of pride that yeah. uh, that got into it, and, and and it was an event, right? Going to a game was an event. It was a ton of community spirit. I mean, you'd go, you know, down the main thoroughfare of the city, and you're going to see lots and lots of flags out, and lots and lots of you know window paint, and you know. Uh, all sorts of stuff, signs and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a big deal. So again, like there, there became for me, especially again, when I was in university, like at that point, you know, that's one of the first things you do when you're in school, you're trying to like meet people like, Oh, where are you from? You know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what high school did you go to? And then if I said, yeah, I went to West Monroe, like there was an instant, Oh, I know that place, you know? Oh, that's, you guys got good football there. So there's a certain amount of pride. Yeah, definitely. When it came to football, yeah, sports in general. So when you look back on being there, is it pretty negative? I mean, you had some good moments there. Yeah, uh, but I think I just didn't like um, the small town Louisiana thing at that point. I guess um, yeah. at some point I I did feel very lonely there as well, and not I don't know why. Maybe it was an after effect of just what was going on with our family at the time. But you you talked about the sort of how where we were like class wise, lower middle class. I think I felt that more than anything every year. You know, you would you go through that ritual of like getting new clothes for school. And I, I, I remember being acutely aware of that sort of where we were in that structure of life social structure well it's funny josh because i was just talking about this with someone because i don't know if you've watched the the last dance at all with uh no. with jordan on my on netflix and and it's i mean it's really good by the way and i was talking with somebody who had also watched it this guy who grew up in arkansas and we were just talking kind of talking about like it's just kind of like a a real trip down memory lane, particularly when it's looking at the eighties and nineties and talking about the Jordans and stuff. And both of us were like, yeah, we, we never had Jordans, you know, like that was never an option, <laughs> never an option for us, no. you know? Nope. <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't have money to spend for that type of thing. I just, I do. I just remember being feeling really awkward socially at that time in my life. You know, like clothes wise, just not. Nah, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I've never had a lot of friends in my life growing up. And even as an adult, I think it has something to do with being socially awkward, shy, self esteem being low. Mm. I think it comes from that, that time of moving around. It's no one's fault. I'm not blaming anybody. Because you can. You can be whoever you want to be. You yeah. can decide to do something. But, yeah, I don't know. I I think I look back on West Monroe as, as probably the way you look at Colorado, maybe. I don't know. I yeah. view Colorado the same way you do. But I also sort of view West, West Monroe, Monroe that way, yeah. too. Yeah. No, and that's something that something big happened, too, where, you know, 
Yeah. I got into I got into a fight with a guy and he beat me up pretty bad. So yeah, <laughs> you lump that in too. Totally. And it's like forget this place. Yeah. Well, and to be fair as well, like when I went away to college, it's not like I went halfway around the world. Like I was, you know, still fairly close to that same area. Not that I went there a lot, but when you left, like you were, I mean, you were separated from that area. It was, you weren't going back. It was in your past. You moved to Dallas. And so I still, I still, I guess, was kind of in that, that atmosphere to some degree, you know, and, and could maybe make peace with some of the things that I didn't like necessarily as I kind of came into my own in, in college and was like, oh, yeah, I'm more than just the kid who moved halfway through into high school, you know, because when you get to college, everybody's new. And so it's kind of a fresh start. Yeah, I think moving to Dallas was a big, being in a bigger city, being with dad and that whole world, which we talked about it being larger culturally. And I had decided when I was 15 in, still in Louisiana that I was going to go to school, go to college for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And dad just encouraged that. And he was a big help with that when I got out there because he knew a lot about it. He had made he had made commercials. He had shot commercials. Did he? Yeah. That. So when he worked for he worked for that company Howard's in London. Howard Brothers. Yeah. He worked in graphic design. Yeah. I thought but, it was all print though. It was, but he but they shot some local commercials oh. for that Howard's. He shot a he shot with ZZ Top. What? Yeah, I wish I could find that somewhere. Okay. But yeah, yeah, he shot this he shot this commercial. Like he was in it, or he was like behind the camera. Directed it. Wow. So he knew. I remember he got me this book early on when I moved out there and was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. And it was this book. It's kind of famous for filmmakers. It's called Shot by Shot. And it explains all these technical things about shooting film. And there's certain rules that Mm -hmm. you use in photography. It's like a film language, right? And one of the rules is a 360-degree rule. Okay. And I had no idea. I couldn't. I would read it, and I I couldn't understand it. Like, I was like, what are they talking about here? And they would use examples from movies and basically that rule is you set the camera up you have two characters and you set the camera up on one side of them right so you have a master shot master shot is like a big wide shot of everything in the frame and there's two people right there's a person on the left there's a person on the right you have the camera there so the 360 degree rule is you don't put the camera on the other side of those people to where you would cut to that shot mm-hmm. and the person on the left would be on the right and the person on the right would be on the left. Suddenly gotcha. it's discombobulating yeah. film film language wise. So there's a rule like you don't want to break that okay. unless you're trying to make a point. So I didn't understand that as like 15 trying to read that. He broke it down for me just like I, showed, like I explained it to you. Mm-hmm. So he was like a big help. Mm-hmm. In in that world, so moving to Dallas, and then the basketball thing was big. Yeah, we weren't very good, but I was pretty good, mm-hmm. and that built confidence. So yeah, getting out of Louisiana was like a good thing for me. 
Yeah. But at that point, making that decision wasn't easy. Maybe it was, but the aftermath of it was hard in a sense that I remember I do. I, I don't know if you noticed this last time, but I got kind of choked up. I might get might happen here. Um, it's OK. <laughs> but leaving mom was not how I was. I imagined it would be. You thought it'd be easier? Yeah. Did you feel guilty for leaving? Yeah. Especially in hindsight, especially what happened in the years after that. But, like, leaving her, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you remember how that conversation went down? Because, I I mean, I don't remember it. I don't remember anything about that other than it it happened. I don't remember, like, the initial, like, telling her I was going to do it. I just remember the day that I was leaving. Dang. Was that during the summertime? Like, I'm assuming just because you had to get, like, settled before you started school in Dallas, huh? Yeah. Yeah, she, um... She didn't take it well, did she? I mean, I have thought about that because the reality is is that she lost both of her sons. That's at the same time in some sense, because I go off to school and then you move in with dad and... To imagine her being by herself after essentially being a single mom for so long, I think that's something that would be hard for anybody to deal with, right? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we see later like the how the loneliness affected her. You know, like she got married that third time. Yeah, and we didn't even know about it. Right. Yeah, it was it had to be terrible for her like i just remember her like that day just hugging me and running away crying oh my god josh like she left the house like she had to go to work yeah and that and somebody was going to pick me up i think it was papa mama they were going to drive me out there to dallas yeah Yeah. i was sitting at the kitchen table and she hugged me and she just turned and left and left golly and you had like all your stuff packed and everything Okay, so this is where, again, like I come into the significance of the title of this podcast. Like I, I feel like in some sense, you know, like like I'm a sociopath um, because like I, I know I thought about it, but I don't know if I really thought about all of that. Partic- I know I'm not at the time. So now looking back, you know, whatever, 30 years, 25 years do you struggle with guilt? Do you struggle with like feeling like partly responsible for maybe mom, some of mom's issues? Uh, no, not, no, I like her issues are her own. I do struggle with like not being there for her. Yeah. Yeah. Or not having her back. Yeah. Or being supportive or, being understanding yeah definitely yeah and do you think that that's directly related to your leaving or do you think that because and this might be i think that it may not be as easy to to break this down but it's like it could be a combination of you just being older and wiser and more mature and feeling that way towards an aging parent but how much of that do you think also plays into like yeah i kind of feel guilty that i left her i don't know Maybe, yeah. Maybe that is part of it. 
I don't think leaving her was like the big the big part big deal of it the big part of it I think it was the separation from her and not being in touch with her as much as I should have been like okay. I could have got like I don't I didn't go back and see her at all when I lived in Dallas for how long maybe, I mean maybe a couple times I I think maybe like once you went to college and I was in Dallas finishing my high school years I don't remember going back and seeing her I mean I do remember I do remember you coming back for like Christmases though okay because I remember I do remember visiting you one time in college and meeting Candace that first yeah. time yeah but that was I mean that's that was a ways into college though yeah but I remember initially because, like, I remember you coming back to Louisiana with Dad because, I mean, that was still something that would happen during Christmas is, you know, he would come see his parents. So I remember right. you coming with them and, and us meeting up then. And then I think I think I remember, like, us, you know, doing, like, you know, like a mini Christmas something with Mom during that time. Yeah. I don't remember that. It probably did happen. But I just – I think probably what's informing how I'm feeling is that I did feel – very separated from her by choice and in hindsight i feel i do feel guilty for not being closer to her mm-hmm. because the thing with that third marriage was later on out, like that happened after college oh yeah and um but it was all like a all leading up you know she was lonely she didn't have anyone um, but Josh, don't, don't and I'm not trying to in any way like you know trying to um, minimize what you're saying. But don't you think too that some of the things that led to mom, and I, you, you do because you you know you've already said her issues are her issues. But I do think that part of part of mom's decision making is that I think she's always been a lonely person. She's always felt like an outcast. She's always gravitated towards a codependent type of relationship with friends and with um you know uh relationships um marriages and such and so i think some of that's her like some of that was present way before definitely yeah we we were making those type of decisions yeah yeah she's we can get into this more in another podcast but yeah she's always been sort of this is the thing, man. She's an outcast mm-hmm. and she doesn't, I don't think she emotionally knew how to deal with that or intellectually. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that a lot of, a lot of my perception of mom, and, and this is part of the reason why I respect her so much as a mother was that she was in a survival mode, you know, where you, you've got the classic fight or flight. She was the type of mom that fought. You know, and did what she needed to do. I mean, she very easily could have said this is for the birds. I'm out of here. I don't know how to handle me or kids or divorces. But she did what she needed to do. You know, if it was to work crazy hours and if it was to work at a job that maybe other people saw as demeaning, if it was to go back to school, which was not her her strong suit by any stretch, like she did the hard things. Uh, and that's what I find so incredible crazy respectable about her you know yeah i do too she's a there's an underlying humanity there yeah 
Yeah. Good big heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you went when you went off to college, what was that like getting away from her? Well, I I don't know. I wouldn't say it was getting away from her. I think it was just moving on to something else. And so instead of I didn't feel like I was running away from something, I felt like I was running towards something. And yeah, being in the home with mom is a part of that, just like any, you know, teenager probably feels. But I loved it. I mean, it was one of those things where I think I was ready for it. I've always felt like I was fairly independent and I wasn't afraid, you know, to go to a place where I didn't know a ton of people. I knew some people in college when I first started, but not a lot. So I, lo- I mean, I loved it. It was it was kind of a big, exciting adventure. And yeah, it was it was it was absolutely, you know, positive from that standpoint. So I think it was me feeling like, well, this is the natural step. This, this is what you're supposed to do is, is to kind of begin to spread your wings a little bit. And so I just embraced that and didn't feel, I didn't feel a lot of, a lot of guilt and, and I probably should have felt more. Like I think once I left home, I left home and I know that that hurt mom as well because I think I think it probably would have been mitigated if you'd still been at home, but the fact that you weren't at home definitely made it worse. So I did feel some of that pressure as well. But I also felt like I, I couldn't I couldn't give into that pressure either because I was looking at people all the time who, you know, we called them, you know, um, suitcase students where they just came to school essentially for the week of class and then they went home on the weekends. And I was like, no, oh, that's that's not living independently, you know, and I wanted to be independent and, uh, and I, you know, quickly began to find friends and, and kind of create my own world to the point where even when we would have school breaks, like I wouldn't go home for school breaks. I would either go home with friends or we would have some sort of trip that we did or, or whatever the case was. It just kind of became like, it's, it's my life now, you know? So I do think that it hurt mom for sure. And it's one of those things where I, I, I see that now and feel bad about it. But in the time, I, I, I felt – I don't know if justified is the right word, but I just, I, I just felt like, well, I'm just living my life. You know, like this is, this is supposed to be what's healthy, you know. And if I'm working towards something, theoretically some sort of degree that leads to some sort of job, I need to start learning stuff. You know, I need to start learning how to take care of myself anyway. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, I mean, I would see it's not like I never went home. I'm obviously I did go home. I would see mom occasionally as well. And she would come and try to help me out as much as she could. It's not like she she was in any position whatsoever financially to help me out. But every now and then she'd come and take me to a laundromat, you know, and pay for my laundry to be done. Or, you know, we'd run to, you know, Walmart or something. and She'd help pick up some stuff for me. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, I do remember feeling the pressure of her being alone and her struggling with that separation from us. I don't think I struggled with the separation from her, but I remember feeling her struggle and the separation from me. Yeah, other than that day that I left, I didn't feel it either. I did, as far as, I felt kind of free. It felt freeing to get away from her for sure. That day was hard. 
that moment was hard. But do you remember when you were in college and I was in Dallas, what our relationship was like? I do to some degree. Like, I feel like, I feel like when I was in college, Josh, like, like I was living my life, you know? And so I, I do remember, I didn't feel necessarily separated from you because I think there was a, a sense of expectation that, yeah, things are going to change, obviously, because I'm, I'm going away. But I do remember feeling comforted by the fact that you were in Dallas with dad because I knew that that was something you wanted. I remember feeling happy for you because you obviously were like there was a there definitely was a change in you and there was a change in in the dynamic, too, because obviously you and dad became a lot closer, which I do think that that felt a little threatening to me to some degree. Nothing that was like you know, ah, I don't like them kind of a deal, but it was noticeable, I guess is the easy way to say it. And I remember when, you know, you started getting really involved with basketball and how good that made you feel and it made everybody feel. I mean, because I remember when you became captain of the team and how that made me super, super proud. And you just seemed to be in a good place. So I didn't feel as much of a, uh, a worry for you. I do remember being like, man, I would love for Josh to come out and just visit, you know, and see some of my friends and do some of the stuff that we did. So I, I still felt close to you in that sense of like when we were together, it, it would be a good time, you know. What about you? How did you feel? Yeah, I felt the same way. I mentioned before how co- I remember coming out there and staying with you for like a week. Yeah. Because you lived in this little house. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. And that was fun. I had a good time. Uh, I had been out there before, though, when you lived in a dorm, too. With yeah. I had met one of your your friends, LaBeouf. Yeah. <clears throat> and seeing that sort of world that you lived in was interesting, you know? Yeah. And just those friendships you had with that guy. I remember him one time. I went with you guys to it was some sort of uh, Bible study. I don't know if it was a Bible study, but it was some sort of, like, church function. or, or I don't even know if it was a church function. But it was a bunch of people reading from the Bible or whatever. Okay. I guess. But something came up, and you guys were like talking about stuff in this group. And the subject of it was like a selflessness. <laughs> and the subject of selflessness and wanting to do for others, just to not to gain anything personally, but just to do it and want to do it. And your friend LaBeouf was commenting on that in this group and he was saying something to you about how he something happened something was coming up on a weekend and he you needed something and he wanted so much just to to give it to you like to be there for you and do it and he expressed this like weird not weird but like just this crazy love you know Mm -hmm. it was cool to see that he had made a, a friend like that yeah I think that's what was so great about that time for me is I've had a lot of friendships like that. Like that was where I learned what friendship was and learned what it means to accept someone for all that they are, regardless if not everything is in line with what you think or in line with what you like. So, yeah, that was super valuable for me, for sure. And I remember wanting you to feel part of that. Like I wanted you to know, like. Um, like I, there's a good thing going on here and, you know, and I just wanted you to see it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, 
I do feel like during that time you felt it felt like to me that you were just in a good place, you know, and that you were you were doing well. It seemed like you had some good friends. So, yeah, I, that's what I remember. I think I think where it started to get a little bit weird was probably after you graduated college or graduated yeah. high school. There was this friction with spirituality. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think there was friction with spirituality, and then I think there was. F- I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I may be getting some of the timeline wrong here too. There was f- there was f- friction between you and Dad as well. And well, yeah, I mean that he had kicked me out at one point. Right, and so I started feeling that friction too, and felt a little bit in not like in between, like I was there, but. I was talking to dad more than I was talking to you and was getting his perception of it. And it, it felt like, gosh, what's going on with Josh? You know, like what's, what's happening there. And it felt like you were going in your own direction. Like you were trying to say, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. And that's, I think everyone needs to be able to do that, but it did feel like our relationship changed at that time as well. Yeah, I did. I think uh, at that point I was in a state of rebellion against him. So what was what started that whole thing? Because again, like in my perception, it went from like, holy cow, this is awesome. Josh is with dad. They're very similar. They've got similar likes. Dad's like encouraging him. He's thriving. And then all of a sudden it's like, like I remember you going to college maybe for a semester. Is that right? And then you were just like, school's not for me. I think that was the where it started. Friction between me and dad was that he was very, very disappointed that I didn't go back to school. Also, they were in a they weren't very helpful. They being dad. I mean, as far I mean, I, I may be acting like a jerk here, but I had to pay for my, all of my school myself. They didn't give me any money for it. They did buy me this car that blew up a week later. What? And then blamed that, and then blamed that on like sort of not blamed it on me, but sort of said, "Hey man, we spent money on a car, so don't say we haven't helped you." Oh wow! And then, but they did help. I mean, you know, they did let me. But I had to commute an hour away to this school because you were going from Irving to North Texas, right? Yeah, and did. I had eight o'clock classes, eight a.m. classes. And was that was that the like? Did you enroll the fall semester after you graduated high school? Yeah. Okay. So there was no time in between there. No. And um, it was just it was too much. Got put on probation, I guess, because I didn't like I had a class that I got like a D in okay. a math class, which yeah. was one of those eight a.m. classes. Right. And. I was just like, I can't, I don't want to do this. You know, I had a job too. Did you? Yeah, a full-time job. What were you doing? Working at the video store. Dang, so you're putting in 40 hours a week? 40 hours a week and then driving to Denton four or five days a week. Man. Just no sleep. I don't Um, think I knew that. So anyway, when I told him, like, I'm not going back, he was really mad. And it just went down here from there. And I was I started dating this girl who's a black girl. I don't think he I mean, 
I didn't never took him as a racist, but I know that he said some things to other really? people. What? He said something to mom about it. Okay, this is like blowing my mind because I've always felt like dad actually helped me and kind of my view of other races and being way more open-minded, particularly growing up in the South. Derogatory, but he did say something to white male oblivious about it, privileged. Huh. Yeah. Or he didn't understand it. He told mom that. And wasn't in favor of it. I don't know if he was in favor of it or not, but he did say he was very aware where he came from and how people looked at it, other people. So like he was worried how it would reflect on him? Yeah, which is a, like, which is wow. a form of racism. Totally. So, so I you think told- that was a part of it. I think that was a part of it. And then the, the thing that sent it over was they were they – had, he and Edwina had gone somewhere. Edwina was his second wife. They had gone somewhere, like flown somewhere for a vacation and we're coming back and I was supposed to pick them up and I was late picking them up and he blew his top and we got into a huge fight and he kicked me out. And then that, and then that was the, I had said something to him that was really terrible. And, and um, like I told, I was like, I wish you were dead. And then two years later he died. So he, he, he was, he had been diagnosed with cancer at that point. Not at that point. Okay. When you said that, he hadn't been. No, no. Okay. It, it happened maybe about six months later. He got diagnosed. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, that was. There's that. There's that happened. I mean, that's a pretty huge deal, man. Like, but during, that's, but, yeah. That, I mean, when that, you talk about like feeling disconnected, like yeah. how did how were you, were were you just like an angry teenager at that point going like screw him he doesn't understand me or did you did you feel the emotional consequences of that I think it was more of a more of a teenage thing yeah and just kind of rebelling I didn't know exactly what was going on with me internally you know but in hindsight I think it was you know you do these things as an adult I've come to this this realization that a lot of times you do these things and you don't know why, but there is a reason. There's a subconscious reason why you're doing these things in in places where you act out. Is like you have to do it. Like something's pushing you, something's urging you. You might you may not know it consciously at the time, but it was time to get out. It's time to you know, like you move like you when you go off to college like you did. It's a ritual. Mm-hmm. It's part of growing up. It's a and rite of I passage. Did, yeah, rite of passage. And I did that sort of, and then it failed. So I had to do it in another way. Mm. And it just came out. Sometimes it's not pretty. Yeah. I think maybe that's a theme in my life. I, you're supposed to level up, and I just do it in a weird, forced way, I guess. Well, I mean, I think a lot of life is like that way, right? Like nothing turns out the way you think it should or the way you have been conditioned to think that it should. But yeah, I had this idea that I would be like a this maverick filmmaker, like I would just do it on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mm-hmm. need school and all that. And at the time I was thinking that you know, I'll just do it guerrilla style. Right. It never happened. But getting back to like our relationship I, and going back to the sort of spiritual thing, I remember like struggling. Like, I don't know if this is true, 
But I remember you sort of trying to, like, I don't know if, like, convert is the right word, but, like, struggling with, like, Christianity and all that. And you, do you remember having conversations like that back then? I do, yeah. I mean, I definitely remember having, I, I guess I remember having conversations at different times in our lives. And during that time, for sure, having conversations with you, having conversations with dad. I mean, now, here's what I don't know. And, and you can be 100% honest with me on this. Like, I don't know how I came across. Like, if I came across as, like, holier than thou or superior, like, I sincerely want to ask for forgiveness and apologize for that. I, I, I hope I didn't come. I don't remember coming across that way, but oftentimes you're not aware of how you come across. But I do remember having those conversations with you at various times. I don't I don't remember them being antagonistic. What I mean, what's your what's your recollection? I remember some of it being tense. Some of okay. it being like those discussions about, you know, what a real Christian is and what the Bible is cuz I was all very confused about it at that time because I just I was like I don't believe that these stories really happened. I remember yeah. having those discussions, and I was like, these are metaphors for things, and you're like, no, you're pretty adamant about what you thought about it, and just, like, the conversation's not going well. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, did you feel like I was dismissive? A bit, yeah. Okay, all right, I'm sorry, man. It's okay. I mean, this is the part, this is the part <laughs> of the story where I feel like there was an emotional sort of disconnect between us. Yeah. I, I mean, I do. I'm glad you're saying that because I don't I don't necessarily remember the weight of those conversations with you. I, I remember having the majority of those really, really serious conversations with dad. And part of that probably was because of the way he reacted towards me. My guess is you probably you didn't react as full of anger or temper <laughs> as, as he did. But yeah, I do think, you know, I mean, that's the thing, Josh, like during that time, I mean, college was a huge formative period for me, relationally, socially, academically, emotionally, but spiritually, for sure. And I think as I became, as I transitioned from faith that we grew up with, and in many ways were forced into by mom, right? I think college was the opportunity for me to go, hey, is this is this real? And and to be able to try to judge it. And so once I went through that, and in some sense you're always going through that, but once I went through that process and felt kind of firm and convicted because of personal experiences and just because of you know reading that I had done, I also felt pretty confident that like okay well if someone asked me a question i should be able to answer the question you know like there's this passage in the bible that talks about like be ready in season and out of season to give a defense for what you believe so i was like well i need to be able to i need to be able to have that discussion particularly with my family members particularly with my dad and my brother who are like smart guys and you know i mean i still think dad's like one of the smartest people i've ever met so yeah i mean i i, I probably was pretty Firm in what I believed, and well, that, that caused a natural wedge to some degree. Yeah, it did because it kind of culminated in that one summer 
Yeah. What was his? You said that he was very sort of angry about. What was he so angry about when in these discussions? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think he was angry at me because he felt like I was checking my brain at the door. And I think he was disappointed that I had been brainwashed or he was disappointed that I not that he ever said these words, but like I took the easy route, you know, like I just became another southern boy who's going to go to church. And and I think that's what he was most angry at, because, I mean, as you mentioned, like he really valued education. And and by the way, he, he didn't help me with one penny in school either. Despite multiple promises uh, yeah. to, the, to the contrary, but I do know that there was some pride there, and you know he he wanted us to have an education, and that may have also been similar to what you talked about with your uh, with your relationship. Maybe that reflected on him in a positive way that he that he liked. But yeah, I think that's what he was angry at. I think he was angry at me, kind of seemingly just checking my brain at the door. And so he would test me and he would push me, particularly that summer when I was living with you guys. And I was at the point where I was becoming more confident with what I believed and felt like I could at least hang in there from a logical standpoint in a conversation. And I think that made him even more mad (laughs) because it, it almost felt like a bit of talking back, you know, like a bit of a rebellion. I don't think he was actually interested in having an adult conversation. I think he was wanting to instruct me and kind of put me in my place. And when I when I wasn't content with being in place, I think that made him angry. Yeah. I don't know what his emotional state was in that world that he lived in at the time because he was not he wasn't the breadwinner his wife was and he was at that point he had taken a year off recently. Remember that before before that. Remember that year he took off to do the cartooning. Yes. He never job wise. He never recovered. He never got a really good job after that. And he worked at this comic book distributor dis, distribution company, mm-hmm. which at the time was a pretty good gig because he was running it. But then they got bought out by this by this conglomerate shortly thereafter and lost his job and then and then couldn't find anything and ended up being thrown a bone by this guy who owned a big comic book shop in Dallas and he worked there like a regular employee and then mm-hmm. he got cancer and then so it was like at that point in his life I don't know if he was felt very confident about himself you know he never yeah. talked about it he never came off as a guy who was dealing with self-esteem issues but knowing how human beings work he had to be having all kinds of self-doubts yeah you know yeah yeah i i would have thought so too i mean because you're right i think it was very clear kind of where the majority of the finances came from i didn't feel like he was ever like emasculated by that maybe he was i never Felt like I don't, that was in the air. Towards the end, before he got sick, I did feel that he and Edwin weren't on the same page. Mm-hmm. So I think that they were probably feuding about things, 
you know, how married couples do and money has money has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um, from my experience. And the, yeah, so I don't think everything was roses there and it might, it could have, it could have reflected on his relationship with you. Yeah. I mean, more than likely it did. Right. I mean, we're complex human beings and it's hard to compartmentalize when those sorts of things are happening. So yeah, I'm sure there was a sense of certain areas of his life felt out of control. And maybe this was an area where he was like, I can control this and put this little whippersnapper in place, you know? Yeah. So I do think, you know, again, kind of getting back to us, like I, I think, yeah, that so kind of in combination with where I was going from a faith perspective um, and then where you were going as well from a faith perspective, but also even from a, a familial perspective where you were kind of in a sense outside of family feuding with dad. I don't know if what, what relationship or interaction you had with mom during that time. Did that increase or did that remain the same as before? I think it got better with mom. I remember when I moved out, I went and stayed with a a friend. He was living with his mom. They lived in, like around the corner and I went and stayed, lived there for six months and I was still working and she came and got, to visit you, didn't she? Yeah, I got a place. I got my own place, and she came out that yeah. weekend and, and helped me move and stayed with me. So yeah, she it got better, but I still didn't I still didn't know what was going on with her personally. Like, what was she doing every day, and who was she hanging out with? I didn't know that. I was still, yeah. you know, in 19, 20 years old. You don't really think about those things. You're not that sensitive to that part of your parents lives you know yeah but during this time though you you've graduated college what did you what was your degree in finance <laughs> ah <laughs> i thought i was going to be a financial planner but then you you took a a job right in tyler i did yeah so my senior year when i was about to graduate my plan was start setting up interviews and I wanted to move to Dallas because I figured that's where the most of the opportunity was. And whether it was going to be a, for a bank or, you know, uh, something, whatever, I just wanted to be in the finance industry with the goal of eventually becoming a financial planner. Um, and part of that too, to be honest with you, was also informed by my faith because I had kind of a mentor in college who was kind of in that finance field and he had told me something that i i just remember thinking man this is really 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 cool because he was a christian and he he said you know uh jason if i can get if i can get people to trust me with their most valuable asset which is their money if i can get people to trust me with that then maybe i can develop a relationship where then i can tell people about my most valued uh asset which is my relationship with god and like at the time, I was like, that sounds that's that sounds awesome. I was in finance. I was like, that sounds like a cool thing to where I could still like make an impact in people's lives, but then kind of do what I wanted to do. So, yeah, so I started setting up interviews and then I'd worked at this this camp during the summers and they offered me a full time job and I did not want to do it at all. Like I did not want to go because that wasn't. That's not what I want. It's just not my plan. And I had worked there a couple summers, but the last summer I'd worked there was the first summer that Candace and I had started dating. And 
and I knew that things were getting serious with Candace, um, who's eventually my wife. And she hated that place. She hated that camp because it was a very like intense, like when you're in camp, like there's nothing else going on in the world. Like it's like super, super intense. So when they offered me the job, I was just like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. There's very, very few moments in my life where I would claim something like this. But I really, truly, truly believe because it was such a powerful experience that I had a dream where where, where I was given direction. And the direction was take this job. It was, it was not something I wanted to do. It was not something that I – that I knew in no way this could be coming from me. <laughs> like this is not my idea. And I remember feeling like absolutely terrified that I might lose Candace when I tell her this is what I was going to be doing. And again, I think it was a very supernatural thing. She heard the news and almost immediate was, immediately was like, yeah, you're supposed to do that. And I was like, Dang. So I went into that job. That's a long way of saying I went into that job thinking it was a temporary thing and that I would eventually get back to the world of finance. Um, and then life just kind of took a different direction. You eventually moved to Dallas, went to seminary. Yeah. I mean, that while I was at that, while I was working at that place thinking, OK, this is just like a temporary assignment. Um, it just just had some pretty profound moments of, of what I would call uh, like a calling and going yeah, this is this is actually what I'm built to do. This is what I'm put together to do. But I didn't feel confident going into quote unquote ministry because I mean we'd gone to church growing up, but it's not like you know I was like a star Sunday school student or something like that, you know. Um, and so I was like, man, if I gotta do this, like I feel like I need to know more. I need to know stuff about the Bible, and I need to you know be able to answer tough questions. So yeah, so then I decided to go to basically theological school or seminary and to get a master's in theology so we moved to dallas in the process of moving to dallas to go do that i wound up getting a job in dallas working full-time at a church and then going to school part-time the reason why i steered it in this direction was because we were talking about before that in those days of leaving mom and then dad having these frictions and then he, he eventually passes away I didn't feel very that close to you mm-hmm. during those years. But when you moved back, when you moved to Dallas, I was still living in Dallas. You got married. You lived in this apartment that would buy this golf, <laughs> golf course. course. Yeah. And I'd come out there and see you guys. And then you eventually bought a house. And you had a kid, your first kid. You had Jonah. Um, we started to kind of get closer Yeah. during those years. Then, you, then there was movement. You know, you moved to – Rustin yeah. from Dallas. We were still seeing each other, you know, here and there, but not yeah. a lot. Mom had moved out to Dallas at some point too. Yep. And then you guys moved to to Rustin, and then you moved to Cincinnati. So there was some movement there too. Yeah. For you, what was that like? Like all that movement. Uh, I mean, it was all it was all positive at the beginning for sure. Yeah, I do remember. When we moved to Dallas, that that was that was a that was a good thing for us. Again, just being out of a small town, and because even Tyler, Texas, where where I was working at that camp, still felt like a pretty small town. And moving to Dallas, which I was familiar with because of our dad, 
in a way it kind of felt like a second home but you know like like it was a big city and i knew it you know i could i knew where the highways were and the interstates and i could find my way around there so we loved moving to dallas and frisco where we moved to was like kind of an up-and-coming uh area which now it's just exploded so I loved it. I mean, that was that was probably one of the best times. Candace and I talk about that. Um, one of the best times professionally for me, um, because she was really involved with what I was doing. But yeah, I do remember. I do remember loving that we were close to you as well. You know, because I just think about those those moments of even being at the hospital when, you know, the kids were being born. Like I remember you being there. You know which I absolutely love. But so here's the thing. So, I mean, I can get back to those different moves as well, but I think for me, one of the things I, I remember relationally with you though, because I remember still living in Frisco and in, in our house was that during that time, like at some point you moved to Colorado, didn't you? Yeah. And I remember that. I remember that being a seminal moment. And here's the reason why is because I think you I think you'd gotten into some sort of trouble like down in Austin or something. Yeah. And I remember like either because of that or just very shortly after that it was like okay I need a change I need to do something and I remember right before you moved to Colorado like us having a conversation on the phone. And I remember sitting in my bedroom in Frisco and having this conversation with you. And I remember, like, it was the first conversation that you and I had had in a really, really long time where I felt like you were being vulnerable and you were being like you were just you were just being real and you were you were humble. And you and I remember you just kind of telling me, hey, I'm kind of scared to make this move. And I remember just just listening and talking to you about it. And feeling like whatever happens from this point on, I'm going to remember this conversation forever. So before that, was I just closed off and not talking about certain things? It wasn't that you were closed off. I think I think we had gotten into a, a rhythm where when we talked on the phone, because we would still talk, you know, like on birthdays and you know Christmases and stuff. Like our conversations defaulted to one of two things, either movies or sports. Yeah. That's what our conversations would default to. Yeah. And I remember actually having a conversation with mom, and I think this conversation absolutely broke her heart that I said this. And in retrospect, I probably would have kept it to myself, but it was an honest comment. And the comment was she was saying something about like, you know, why aren't you and Josh closer and, you know, such and such and that sort of thing. And – you know, as you said, like I think my life was I had a wife, I had a kid, maybe I had two kids at that point, and I f- I think you were a little bit aimless, you know, and kind of kind of doing your own thing as well. And I remember answering mom with that question of going, mom, like the reality is, is that if we weren't related by blood, I don't know if we would be friends. You know, like our our personalities and our interests are so different. And I remember her being like, how can you say that? That is horrible. And I was just like, I'm, I'm just kind of looking at it as a matter of fact. So I don't I don't think it was like 
that you were closed off necessarily. I think you were like intentionally closed off. I think that's just where you were, and we were headed in two different directions. Yeah, I think if you were to at, put say that to the mom today, she'd probably understand it. Because that seems normal, a normal yeah. thing with families where people are different and they have different interest, interests. But right. I asked you that question about being closed off because I probably was. And I probably still am at some point. It's something that I'll probably forever be working on. Because what we've talked about most in these two episodes is like the the emotional distancing of cutting off to to survive. Yeah. It's this form of survival. But the downside of that is that you're isolating yourself and you're all alone and this loneliness can erode you, you know, obviously to bring it back to what we're dealing with today. We're all kind of dealing with this and you're seeing this explosion now with all these riots and stuff and well, protests. I don't know if the people are rioting, maybe more cop based, but yeah, it started with, Moving from Louisiana to Maine, the divorce, moving to Colorado, moving back to Louisiana, moving to Dallas. And yeah, all that all that stuff in there, I emotionally just shut off. And mm. it was, like I told you, and it happened early. It was an early thing where mom sent me to the counselor in Maine and I wouldn't talk to that guy. I just didn't want to talk about things. But to expose myself would be to expose myself to pain. And it was hard to deal with. I mean, I probably still don't talk enough about things, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm breaking down crying on this thing. So That's okay. I don't think that's a reflection of you not talking enough about stuff. I think that's a reflection of you getting in touch with your emotions, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. So I, I, think you're, I think you're right, though, from the standpoint that feeling that distance and feeling that isolation has a huge effect on both of us. And I think that's – Again, kind of the interesting thing is like in some sense, I think I've taken that pain and I've taken all that dysfunction and separation and, you know, movement and all that sort of stuff. And like at my heart, I probably tend to be more optimistic towards things. And so I I really strive in that direction where I think you're probably more pessimistic. Right. And so I remember I I do remember thinking like during that time when you still lived in Dallas and uh, and we would see each other that like you you and mom were a lot alike in that way. You know, like I remember I remember still are. Yeah. And I remember having those conversations with mom during that time of just going like I can't take it like I can't take the constant woe is me life is horrible kind of a deal. It's like I'm, I'm sticking in there because I'm her son and I love her, but it absolutely drained life from me. And so I do think you you were in that category for a long time. And I think I think since you've moved out to, call, or to California, there's just been a huge, huge change, a huge change. And some of that I'm sure comes with time, but I think it also comes with like, you know, you're on your own and you've had to struggle and make ends meet. And I think you've done well in a lot of sense of, of, I don't know. I just, I think there's a lot of like, you're the type of person now that I want to be around. Like I find you, I mean, I love you as a brother, but I also find you very, very interesting. And I love hearing your perspective on things. 
And there's, I think there's just an ease in communication now that we have that we didn't at that, have at that time for, for various reasons. Moving to California, specifically to Los Angeles, has been good for me as a per, like personal growth-wise. Maybe some people out here that I know wouldn't think that, but <laughs> but I think Los Angeles in general is a place that is very – it's a very lonely place, so it makes you deal with it. It makes you deal with things yeah. within yourself, and I think that level of personal growth has happened here. So, and also just there's a difference between a person like mom and a person like me. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying that you have to be curious about things within yourself and mm-hmm. sort of like point in that direction and say, well, why is this the way it is? And be curious about it. I don't know if mom is all that curious about it. Mm-hmm. Life is work and you have to work on things, especially absolutely. yourself. Yeah, absolutely. But. One last thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap this up was this thing about the emotional distancing and like being able to survive using that to survive. There's something in my life that I've noticed that I've been trying to work on is and I think it's a direct thing from that emotional distancing thing is like you talked about this in the last episode about how you're able to do that in relationships with people fall out of contact with them and then somewhere along the road pick up back with them with without a hitch and you found that people have a problem with that Mm -hmm. and i started thinking about this thing in my life of how that emotional distancing thing you build that thing up you build something in your mind of a sense of superiority i don't know if this makes sense to you but i find that people react to me in a certain way of like they're afraid to talk to me because i hold certain things in high regard like certain morality or certain ways of interacting with people like you should do this or this should be the way things work in a friendship this is what you know Mm -hmm. and like maybe i hold a a standard Mm -hmm. that people are like man i don't want to deal with that Mm -hmm. and it's it's sort of like a almost a snobbery in a sense i don't know if you dealt with that completely i mean i think we, I, I think Candace and I, as a couple, we deal with that with a, a lot because one of the things that we 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 joke about is that we tend to be the pushers in relationships. Like we tend to be the people who who press and who push people beyond having just superficial conversations. You know, it's like I can have a million superficial conversations all day long. That's not what I want. Like if I'm going to choose to spend time with you, which means I'm choosing not to spend time as a family, then I, I want there to be something there. Like there's there's some depth there. So, yeah, I think our experience has been people don't like that. People don't like being pushed. People like the status quo. People like to stay at a surface level. And when you press, I think people will assign a superiority to you and it's not about being superior i think it's about being deeper and trying to take people in that direction so yeah we i mean i think i struggle with that a ton and i think to some degree like that was you know in a different way that's probably part of what i was struggling all those years ago in having conversations with you and having conversations with dad of going i feel like there's something deeper in life here's where i want to take it but i didn't have I wasn't able to articulate it at that time in that way. 
but just in normal relationships, there's no question, man. Like we feel like Kansas and I particularly, we feel that a lot because I'll ask just, I'll just ask the tough question, you know, or, or I'll, I'll offer something in order to try to model vulnerability and it freaks people out, you know? Yeah. I've found in my life that seeking a way to be uh, more transparent like if you when you're talking to someone and being what they call real like being more real with people and being like okay what was, what's this about because we we all have these in society we've built up these what small talks one of them but there's all these other facades that we sort of operate in in certain social situations and it's all just sort of a, a way to to make everything easier to glide against each other like the society is sort of like um like putting WD-40 on things. We've developed all these WD-40 things in society instead of like stopping and saying, okay, what what are we really talking about here? What are we really wanting to do here? And like being like that is exhausting to people. And It's I exhausting that, to me. It's, ex- it's exhausting in general, but it's worth but it. But you can only be who you can be. Yeah. And I've found that the re- – like, and I'm not saying that I can't work on some things, but I found myself – Having I've mentioned before, not a lot of friendships. I think it's because of that. Yeah. No, I, I mean, Josh, I think we have we've sacrificed, we've had friendships sacrificed because of that. We've even had family relationships sacrificed because of that. You know, I, I know privately we've talked about um, Kansas's family, and yeah. and that's part of what's what is. Uh, present there is that you know we just kind of have the standard of like hey when things happen in our lives we're not just going to wait and allow quote unquote time to heal and then pretend like we don't talk about those things it's like no like we want to get to the root of the issue and you know maybe that's the the transparency or the realness that you're talking about it's like no let's get to the root of it because we'll all be better for understanding that and just talking about it you know, I don't I'm not a person that just wants to talk to talk, but I do like to get to the root of the issue because it helps me. Because, as you said, you know, I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. We're still working on things. And I need I need those type of relationships to be a mirror for me and what what I need to work on as well. So it's mutually beneficial. But if it's a one way street, that's just going to eventually dead end. Yeah. So in retrospect, I guess we could just say that I think people do – I think it's all about meeting the right people at the right time, you know, that want to talk about certain things like that. But what we've talked about in these two episodes is something that led us to want to be that way, you know, because, like, maybe we we were exposed to something like a a realness in, in raw emotion at an early age, having to deal with – what we dealt with as far as what mom went through and, and having to always sort of, I don't know, there's a real, there was sort of a realness to that second marriage and the way it ended with mom that sort of, I think informs all of this for me. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. I mean, I, I'd have to say probably the biggest source of informing me in wanting to be, authentic and wanting to be transparent and wanting to seek after those type of relationships, I think starts with my faith because I think that's essentially that like in, and like we just finished in church and I know we're 
we're getting close to time, but I, I, we just finished in church doing this whole teaching series on some of the one another's in in the New Testament. So like there's all these commands in the New Testament, either from Jesus or from Paul, that say things like do this one another, like forgive one another, submit to one another, confess to one another. Like there's all there's all this one another language. And I think it's all geared towards trying to create community, you know? And so I think for me, that's a big part of what informs my desire to have it and to want it, because I think at the core of who we are, that's how we're made. And I think that's how we're designed to thrive. But yeah, I do think it's, it is, it's unmistakable that what we've gone through has informed who we are. And look, I, I would say too, like it's taken you probably longer to make peace with that because, you know, kind of using your own stories before of like, you know, in many ways you were probably running from that and, and intentionally disconnecting because essentially, I think that's what happens is you experience all this junk in your life and you either embrace it or you reject it, right? And I think sometimes yeah, I was, you do both depending on where you're at. Yeah, I definitely was running from dealing with emotions in my life for a long time, yeah. Yeah. Just sort of avoiding it, and and you yeah. mentioned you know I got in trouble too for it with the law with Johnny Law. <laughs> Some of that stuff was just dumb stuff like not taking care of stuff like an adult, you know, and other stuff was just you know just being a a jerk and drinking too much, you yeah. know. Sure. So yeah, and that, and that's an avoidance mm-hmm. of things in your life. So yeah, that's that's a. In in some ways, it's medicinal too, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a way to stamp down the demons. Yeah. Whatever they may be. Yeah. All right, so I think we pretty much covered separation. I think so. And um, I don't know what you want to talk about next. There's a lot of different directions we could go. I feel like we've teased several things over the course of the last I few weeks. I wonder if we should just jump into the mom pool. I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. going to that's gonna branch off into a lot of different things, but I think it's fair to give both a perspective and a timeline uh, relative to our own timelines of, of kind of the, the big moments that affected us. Because I'd be interested to hear. I mean, just even that conversation you referenced about saying goodbye to mom – I didn't know that happened, and that's that's crazy that I don't know that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we have uh, both have stories that are unknown to either of us, you know. So right. All right. Well, that will conclude separation part two. Thank you for listening. Uh, do you have any last words? No, no last words at all. Other than thanks for listening, and if anyone does want to just simply make comments and let us know what you think and what you like. And if there's areas you want to explore or want us to explore or to expound on, let us know. And, um, you know, we'll take that into consideration. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Peace out. Bye.